the, the sum total of you and what you bring to the earth is not simply what you do for your work, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it's really tricky because there are a lot of messages out there about like, know your worth. And it, and that translates into, you know, charging whatever higher rates. And I'm not saying don't charge the higher rates. I'm saying know that there's a distinction between what you charge for your services and your actual worth as a human being. You're listening to Chief Executive Ante, the podcast exploring the work lives of Asian Americans beyond the conventional doctor, lawyer, and engineer. I'm your host, Jennifer Dwan Faltz. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show today. Um, okay, I have laryngitis, so it's not. So I'm not going to sound great, but I'm really excited to speak with my guest today. Her name is Cynthia Pong, and she is a feminist career coach. Uh, she was a lawyer in a previous life, but now she helps women, and specifically women of color, navigate career changes um, and starting their own businesses. Welcome to the show, Cynthia. Thank you so much, Jennifer. So tell me, thank you. So tell me a little bit in your own words, what do you really do? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, you know, you pretty much summed it up just now. Uh, But truly, if you want to drill a little bit deeper into what I do, I help women of color strategize around their careers. Uh, And I do, you know, I do it in a supportive and hopefully empowering way, of course. But my approach is really about what are their goals concretely? And how can I help them come come up with an action plan that strategically and efficiently gets them to their goals? Uh, And I do this in sort of three buckets or three areas, one of which is around negotiation and leadership and management. Uh, Second one is career change, as you mentioned. And the third is also, like you mentioned, the growing or starting a small business or side hustle or creative project. Um, and yeah, my approach is highly tailored to the specific person and where they are in their career journey and their life. Uh, but I'm very sort of action oriented and, um, very practical and pragmatic, which might be something that carried over from my former life. I think, I don't know, at least in some circles, I think the idea of a coach is someone who's very woo woo and just... Which I mean, I was I was super hesitant to work with a business coach when I started freelancing seriously, but it turned out to be one of the best investments I ever made. What kind of clients do you typically work with? Yeah, so I pretty much work with women of color who are in the middle of their careers. That's one sort of uh, commonality. Um, so women of color who have worked for maybe five or so years at least. Uh, So they have that kind of experience under their belt, but maybe they're feeling a little bit stuck in some sort of way and don't know how to kind of proceed forward with the rest of their career trajectory. As far as industry, it can vary widely. I work with, um, you know, people who are in the more quote unquote traditional lines of work like law and medicine. Uh, But I also have creative clients and really enjoy working with them also. The only area I really don't uh, support people on is tech because it's so um, 
I feel like it's so specific and it's such a unique industry in and of itself. And I don't have any background in it. So I don't really have clients who are in that type of work. How do you advise a client who may be in a space that, you know, so like, for instance, if you're working with um, someone who's in medicine, your background is in law, um, how do you, you know, how do you find ways to advise them if they're in a field that is not particularly your own? So the, the thing is, a lot of times, one doesn't need to have the industry specific knowledge mm-hmm. to support somebody. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's why the skills that I bring to the table can apply to people regardless of what kind of work they do, because it's really not rocket science. It's kind of a basic, uh, it can be, you could boil it down into a very simple thing, which is that people have a problem and I happen to be really good at problem solving. So we identify what the problem is. We figure out like what the person's specific goals are. And I'm really good at helping people sort of distill that down and refine those things through a lot of targeted questions, um, asking the right questions, listening and kind of investigating. Mm. Um, And once we sort of figure out where they want to go and what the problem is, then it's simply a matter of suggesting a bunch of things and trying it out. And so that's a, a, a process of like co-creation with my clients. You know, mm. I might ask them questions where they have the industry knowledge about like, I don't know, which uh, people to talk to within their industry to get certain information, but I will help them figure out what it is that they need. Uh, if that makes sense. You yeah. know? So it's, it's not like, Uh, I come in with some type of roadmap that's like, okay, for the dentists, you know, this is what you do. Um, It's really more of an organic process of talking people through uh, their barriers and their blocks and things, uh, and then figuring out an action plan to help them move through it and get to their goal. Can you give an example, obviously anonymously, but like, could you give an example of a question or problem that a client might come to you with? Okay. So I have a lot of clients who feel that they're overworked and underpaid. Mm. That might be actually one of the the biggest complaints that brings people to me. And that's honestly a little bit more straightforward because it's really about figuring out how, how to one, help them be clear about what their boundaries are with their work and then help them hold the boundaries on the one side. And then on the other side, it's helping them figure out how they can negotiate for more money or less work or go to a different place. And all of that is about, in a larger sense, both of those things are about advocating for yourself effectively without giving away your power, without allowing other people to take it away from you. Um, And kind of, this is going to sound more woo woo, but like really owning your power a bit more. Um, So that's, that's a big one that brings people to me. Yeah, I was a teacher in my past life. And in all the places where I've taught, um, they've all been union. And so Uh you just have a pay scale and you just land on there with whatever degree, whatever experience you have. And so when it, when I um, stepped into freelancing, and I was like, what do I? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) It's really disorienting. Um, It it was really disorienting. (laughs) um, But then it was but it was also very liberating, because I was like, Oh, there is no cap on my income right. besides just how much time I have in a day, um, I guess. And mm-hmm. so now I kind of, 
I end up fielding a lot of questions from freelancers about pricing. And it's like, it's not really about, it's not about worth. Like it's hard because you can't say one human is more, is worth more than another, but it's more like, what does it cost to keep you alive? What does it cost to keep you doing the mm-hmm. work that you're doing? Okay, now charge that. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm so glad you raised that because I used to be union too as a lawyer, which is a little bit weird because... Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, um, I, I was part of a union. We were part of the, you know, we were a local of the United Auto Workers Union. Hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I only negotiated on behalf of clients in all that time. I did not ever need to negotiate for myself. Uh, and it wasn't until after I became my own boss and like started my own business that I had to confront this. And it was, I mean, it was a big learning curve. I will say that. And something that I talked about recently in this negotiation webinar that I co-taught was how the things we do have no set value per se, you know, even money, right? Right. Money is like the biggest lie that we all buy into, right? Because the fact that like this green paper has X value and you can trade it for whatever, you know, we, we all made that up and we all buy into it. Right. Literally and figuratively. (laughs) Um, So what do you do when you're trying to figure out how to like value your services? And I do encourage everybody, you know, whether they're my clients or people I interact with over social media or whatever, to divorce this idea of, or not divorce, but um, to detach their own feelings of self-worth from Mm -hmm. what their rate is. Because I do feel like it's super reductive. It really kind of is like robbing yourself of your own humanity. You know, you're not uh, the, the sum total of you and what you bring to the earth is not simply what you do for your work, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it's really tricky because there are a lot of messages out there about like, know your worth. And it, and that translates into, you know, charging whatever higher rates. And I'm not saying don't charge the higher rates. I'm saying know that there's a distinction between what you charge for your services and your actual worth as a human being. Yeah, for sure. I mean, when people ask me about pricing, I'm like, take the feelings out of it. Your feelings have nothing to do with it. Look at your Mm -hmm. expenses, look at your cost of doing business, Mm -hmm. you know, and money, you know, money is just a proxy. It's a tool that we use. And so like figure out how much money you need to pay your mortgage, pay your car payment, pay off your loans, live the lifestyle that you want to live. That's okay. Figure right. out what that is and then build your prices based on that, not on right. how much you feel like you're worth. Yes. I hate, yeah. I hate charge what you're worth. I know. I know. It's, I, I think it's really like really dangerous kind of rhetoric that is out there. So I'm always trying to like dispel that notion. Like it's uh, a good meme and it sounds nice, but right. it doesn't, it doesn't mean a lot of good things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So I'm really curious kind of what is the process like of working with you if with a like how is your process of working with clients do you kind of set up a like a package where they meet with you for a certain amount of time or kind of how do how do you run that Yeah so most of my clients are uh coming to me with either uh, a career change issue where it's like, I hate what I do now, but I do not know what I want to do instead. Uh, Or it's more of the executive coaching. So the leadership management negotiation stuff or the creative side 
you know, more of the business coaching stuff. So for folks like that, I have a kind of foundational program where it's like eight sessions over the course of two to three months, which is a really good amount of time to really get some things done and accomplish mm-hmm. a good amount of things. But, but also it's, it's like the minimum that I've found uh, that's sufficient to get somebody really invested and make some change. Mm-hmm. So um, before we even start though, I, always like have a consult with clients. I don't know if this is getting too granular for you, but no, but I love have it. A consult to, to figure out if it's a good fit, you know, what the needs actually are and whether I can help them with that. And then assuming it is, you know, we talk about um, like the logistics and the investment and things. Cause for that program, I have a sliding scale. So it depends on where folks um, annual salary lands them. Um, and then we start, you know, figure out when they want to start their first session. Before that, um, I will send them like a, an in-depth preliminary questionnaire that's got questions both about your professional life and your personal life so that one, the person can get a degree of clarity before they even start working with mm-hmm. me. And a lot of, I always ask clients like how they found it. And a lot of people find it challenging, but like in a good way, you know, cause it really forces them to sit down and think about some of the bigger questions, some of the harder questions. So it serves that purpose. It also helps me, of course, get a better handle on what that particular client situation is so that I can think about things and process a bit before we actually start. I like to tell people that I'm a quote unquote slow processor. (laughs) Um, And I like to let things like marinate and reflect on things. Ideas often occur to me like way later on. So I've learned to like, not only accept that about myself, but sort of unabashedly claim that because I know that this world is all about like fast, 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 you know? Um, in any event, there's that preliminary questionnaire and there's also a clarifying goal sheet that I have clients fill out, which asks them their top three personal and professional goals. So between those two documents and the first session or two, where I ask a lot of questions and, you know, clarify things that came up from the documents, we have a pretty good idea of where we need to go first. So then we identify whatever their priority goal is um, and break it down, you know, like really break it down uh, into bite-sized pieces so that the person can start acting on them and making the change that they need to make as soon as possible. Only once we get sort of some momentum going with that first goal and they sort of feel like, okay, I, I can like ride this bicycle now, you know, I don't have to think about it so hard, then we can add you know, secondary or even tertiary goals, depending on the person. Some people spend all eight sessions and then more on the first priority goal area because maybe it's huge. Other people move faster and can even get through all six um, by the end. So it really depends on the person. And then again, because I am a slow processor, I like to provide email support for people. So when things hit me and we're not in the session, like I can send resources or other ideas or questions and discrete things we can resolve offline, which is really nice too. How many clients do you typically have at a time? Yeah. So as you may guess, it ebbs and flows, Mm -hmm. but kind of more than 10 and I start to get very stressed out. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So I try to keep it at about eight. Mm -hmm. Um, And also I should say, Jennifer, that that's not the program I just described to you, to you isn't, 
the one that all of my clients are in, but the bulk of them are there. Mm -hmm. So I do do some one-offs, like limited one-time sessions. And so that'll cause the number to fluctuate a bunch, but you know, clients who are a bit more long-term, I try to keep it around eight. Yeah. I'm at a point in my life, I have a young kid at home and I'm Mm -hmm. like, I take one major project at a time mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> because I, ju- I just need wiggle room. If, yes. And right now it's cold and flu season and it's also snow day season. And I'm just like, mm, nope, yeah. can't, can't take more right now. Sorry. Right. Yeah. Um, that's really it's great. Real. I can't imagine having to work with 10 clients. At the same <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, it's very different. Like it really depends on what you do, you know, how many clients you can take yeah. on. And also, like you said, whatever else is going on, at the time will affect it too. So there's certainly been times where I had to, first I thought I could take a wait list. This was a lesson I learned the hard way. Like last spring, I got a, a big influx of potential clients and, you know, see, this is the problem. Cause it like, I, I felt bad, you know, that I couldn't help everybody. So I was like, I'm going to put you on a wait list. And I started this wait list. And then I was like, this wait list is too long. Like it's going to take me forever to get to everybody. And then that all that did was increase stress on myself rather than the opposite, which was what I intended it to do because I was trying to move through everybody so that I could get to everyone, you know? So uh, I learned that the hard way that in the future, really, it's just open for clients, not open for clients, you know, and trust that between me referring to them, referring them to colleagues or other things that everyone's going to get what they need. Yeah. Do you see, I'm very curious, do you see any recurring, I don't know, patterns or behaviors, particularly among women of color when it comes to their careers? Because I I work, I am choosing to focus in that space too and helping freelancers and business owners um, who are from marginalized groups. And I'm just curious if you have seen, noticed anything that sort of seems to come up over and over again for people. Yeah, I suppose a lot of it is what I mentioned earlier about the like fear of advocating for yourself or I suppose it's really the fear of the repercussions of advocating for yourself. Mm -hmm. And, you know, but that's real, you know, that that exists because of the systems that we live in, Uh, you know, white patriarchy and capitalism and all of that. So uh, I'm not, I'm not trying to imply at all that this is like some problem that like we created for ourselves. It's simply a byproduct of the world that we live in. So I think for a lot of my clients, it's undoing all the conditioning that happens around that. Like, and especially uh, for Asian Americans, it's like this feeling like don't rock the boat, you know, kind of keep your head down and do your work and people will simply recognize you for it. Um, I'm doing a lot of those type of myths uh, is, is a big part of it. Um, For black women that I work with, you know, it's kind of having to navigate like the landmines that they encounter almost daily in their workplaces. Like if they work with a lot of white folks, especially white men, you know Um, it's, it's super toxic and it can be very stressful. Um, It could have like health uh, Mm -hmm. ramifications for them. And, you know, it just sucks. Like the constant feeling of uh, 
being overlooked for leadership opportunities, getting stuck with the quote unquote office housework or um, the note taking stuff like that, um, being paid less than your white counterparts, um, just having to face all the stereotype bias that each particular group faces. It's exhausting. Uh, so a lot of support also like revolves around that. And I mean, it's, it's a good thing that there are more people like us who are making uh, women of color like our clientele, like our target clientele. And we're like there to provide tailored support because it's so lacking, you know? Um, and I think that in itself is oppressive because mm -hmm. it's, it's like assuming that we can take, you know, career advice or whatever written by and for white people and simply use it you know, which ignores the fact that it's not the same for us. Yeah, I um, like, especially this last year, I have really started to focus in on serving Asian Americans in particular. And so I go into some of these online groups and I'm like, so what questions do you have around business? And one of the ones I got was like, how do I convince people that I know how to write when they can't pronounce my name? And I'm like, no white business coach is ever going to talk about that because that's not their reality. And yeah. like, and I would go through and look for resources by right. Asian Americans or people of color in general. Mm -hmm. And there's almost nothing. Yeah. And so I'm like, okay, I guess I'm just going to make my own now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is yes. how it's going. But um, I know, I mean, clearly we have to take up that mantle because you know, it's not happening, but I, I like, I think now it is happening more and mm -hmm. more, but there is clearly a void. There is space for that is how I should probably say. It. Yeah. I think once I started looking for it and looking hard for it, I was like, mm -hmm. oh, okay, it is out there. It's just not mm -hmm. on the front page of anything yet. And so how right. can you get it there? Yeah. True. Who are the gatekeepers? Right. 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 <laughs> yeah. Do you have I know this is probably going to be a loaded question, but do you have any quick takeaway advice for Asian Americans who are wanting to make changes in their careers or start their own business or just kind of make a move forward? Yes. <laughs> My advice is start. You know, start doing it on the side, start doing little by little if you have to, test it out. Don't feel like you have to wait for some, I don't know, perfect alignment of the stars or something, because it's not going to happen. There's no such thing. There isn't. Yeah. And you're simply going to let time pass you by. And then, you know, you might be in this terrible position of like kicking yourself for not starting 10 years ago. So th there's this thing, one of these like platitudes floating around like Instagram and whatnot is like the best time to plant a tree was 10 years ago. The second best time is now, you know? So in the same way, like, okay, maybe if you do wish you had started earlier, like forget the feelings, like you were saying earlier, like put the feelings aside and what can you do today? You know, even if it's, it feels like a tiny meaningless step, do it today. No more excuses, you know? Um, so starting is one, not getting caught up in this, like, oh, what if, or, you know, nobody else is doing it or like, what if I fail? Or it, it doesn't matter. You the only failing is not trying. Mm. Um, so like if you have time, 
listen and tune into your internal compass, you know, your own sense of integrity um, around what your craft is. Like, what are you good at? What do you want to do? What results do you want to get people? What do you want to bring into the world? And then figure out how to make that happen. And once you try, you know, sure, you're going to find that some things work and some things don't. But that's exactly the information that you'll need and that you can only get from trying. And that's going to tell you where your next step is going to be after that. You could detail something down to, you know, the most minuscule uh, component in the abstract. But that's nothing yet. Like you haven't actually tried and put it into, um, turned it into a reality and put it out in the world. Um, so past a certain point, like, sure, do your planning and your due diligence, but past a certain point, know that it's time to take action. Yeah, you can't ever replace real world data with hypothetical planning. Right. Like you just have to go out there and, okay, I try to sell this thing and it doesn't right. sell. All right, then I have, then that tells, like, what does it tell me? Exactly. I think, I think for me, getting getting past the like oh man this didn't work and just like okay okay cool feel bad about that for a minute and then what does this tell me what right can I change what can I do differently and just kind of having that like iterative mindset has been really helpful for me um any advice for people stuck in that kind of toxic workplace again I know that's going to be hard to condense (laughs) into a minute or two but (laughs) stuck in the toxic workplace right so um it's going to have to be a a bifurcated thing because it it depends if the person can leave Mm. like almost immediately like if there is a financial cushion um or you're okay to go to what I like to call a rebound job um, which is, you know, kind of the, an hourly part-time or full-time, like working at a cafe or something like that. If you can leave immediately, then, then do it. Like if, if it's at that point where you've had enough and you know that it's not going to change, uh, the toxicity is not going to go away, then get out. <laughs> uh, if the finances are not really there so that you can simply leave, then I say, um, set a hard deadline Mm. to get out and then do the bare minimum at your job, you know, so that you don't get fired and then use the rest of your time and energy to find the next job and understand that the next job still may not be that ideal, perfect job because it doesn't exist, but anything that's better than significantly better than what you're in now can help you then make the next move. So it's, it's, it's all a matter of timing. Like, are you able to leave right now? Like, or in the next two weeks, or do you have to buy yourself some time so that you can save up money so that you can have a bit of a cushion and then leave. But the, th- the key with the second one is really setting that hard deadline and then making sure you're accountable to it. Cause otherwise that can be a trap. Like you could and then you just drag on and on. Yeah. And then five years later, you're still in the same place. So that's what we want to avoid. Yeah. I just want to, I don't know, for what it's worth for anybody listening, quitting a job is not the end of the world. It really, really is not. I've been in the workforce for 10 years, almost 10 years, and I have quit jobs sometimes with not a lot of notice. And sometimes the people were not super happy with me. I've never not been able to get another job. 
somewhere else along the line. So I think, but I was, I mean, when I was younger, I was terrified. I'm sure. Leaving, at that point it was leaving, not just leaving a job, but leaving like that entire field of education that I had spent all this time preparing for. Um, But I don't know. I think it's, it's not the end of the world. And in some ways I've been able to kind of spin my experience in certain fields into other ones. And the yeah. fact that I can make that transition has actually yes. proven to be really valuable for yes. me. So don't, yeah. be, don't be scared to quit your job if you need to. <laughs> it's true. It could really be the best decision you ever made in ways that you could never have anticipated. Yeah. So, yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Cynthia. It was wonderful talking to you. Um, How can people find you online, keep in touch with what you're doing? Sure. So I share, you know, free career advice and things like that on Instagram. My handle is at EmbraceChangeNYC and on LinkedIn, where you can find me under my name, Cynthia Pong. Uh, I also have a newsletter, a monthly newsletter, The Trajectory, for which people can sign up at EmbraceChange.NYC slash sign up that's embracechange.myc slash sign up and i hope to open up a few spots for longer you know coaching clients in early 2020 so the best thing to do if you're interested is to get on my newsletter the trajectory and uh, i'll be posting on there about how to sign up for a consult and things like that and do you work with clients just in new york or um no across the country yeah, I I work uh, with clients really anywhere so long as the time zone works out. I do have clients who are in, you know, UK, Canada and Australia right now and in the past India. So because I work over video chat, it's not a problem. Cool. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. I will drop those links in the show notes. And so if you're contemplating some kind of career move in the new year of 2020, check out Cynthia. Thank you so much. This was so fun. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to Chief Executive Ante. You can find show notes, resource links, and more Ante rants at chiefexecutiveante.com. That's chiefexecutive, A-U-N-T-I-E.com. Special thanks to Sue Ann Shaw, who mixed and mastered this episode and composed the music, Alyssa De La Rosa, who created the branding, and my distribution partner, Mochi Magazine. Check out more stories for Asian American women at www.mochimag.com. That's M-O-C-H-I-M-A-G.com. See you next time.